0: The reading is taken from Luke's Gospel chapter 19 verses 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here if only one asks you why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, This is the word
1: of the Lord. What kind of leader are you following? It's a question that would have had a very clear answer if you were a citizen in the Central African Empire in 1977. That was the year that Emperor Bokassa I was enthroned in that country. And I have an account here of uh, his enthronement. Let me read something of that to you. On December 4th, In 1977, in Bangui, capital of the Central African Empire, the World Press witnessed the coronation of His Imperial Majesty, Bokassa I. The price tag for that single event was 25 million US dollars, and it was choreographed by the French designer, Oliver Bryce. That morning, to the blare of trumpets and to the roll of drums, His Majesty approached. The, the procession began with eight of Bukasa's, um out of 29 of his official children, eight of them processed up to the front and took their seats. Catherine followed, who was his favorite of nine wives, and she was wearing a 73,000 US dollar uh, gown made by Levin of Paris, strewn with pearls and uh, ones that she had picked out herself, no less the emperor arrived in an imperial coach bedecked with golden eagles on, on the top and drawn by six matched Anglo-Norman horses. When the marine band blared the sacred march of His Majesty Emperor Bocasa I, I suppose a piece that was crafted just for this occasion, His Highness strode forth, cloaked in a 32-pound robe, decorated with Seven hundred and eighty-five thousand pearls, and embroidered with gold. White gloves adorned his hands. Pearl slippers on his feet. His brow, on his brow, he wore a, a golden crown of laurel wreaths, like those worn by the Roman emperors of old. As the sacred march came to an end, Bokassa seated himself on his two-point-five million U.S. dollar eagle throne, took off his golden laurel wreath, and took his 2.5 million U.S. dollar uh, crown, which was topped with an 80-carat diamond, and he put it on his own head. What kind of leader were they following? It was a wealthy and a powerful leader. Surely it would have inspired confidence in his supporters and fear in his enemies to see that display. The pomp and the expense of his enthronement, it was all designed to show exactly how his reign would be. Yet very soon thereafter, all that grandeur was proven to be false. It was just two years later, after an uprising of students over the cost of their school uniforms, where 200 children were killed by police. Uh, After that uh, horrific tragedy, The French successfully engineered a coup while Bokassa was out of the country, and his reign came to an end. The contrast between his coronation and his reign couldn't have been more stark. Uh, He projected enduring power, but his end came with astonishing speed. And so it is with all rulers and emperors on this earth. Try as they will, even though they cling tightly, when death comes they will lose their Reich, their kingdom, their empire, they'll leave it all behind. But on Palm Sunday we remember a different kind of coronation ceremony, of a different kind of king. And the difference between Bokassa I and Christ, it's very striking. As we look together at Luke 19, I just want to draw your attention to two features of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The first is that King King Jesus came humbly riding on a borrowed donkey. The second is that King Jesus came weeping with compassion. So first, King Jesus came humbly riding on a borrowed donkey. We should never underestimate the symbolic importance of a ruler's transportation. Bokasa came to his ceremony in his uh, coach with the the golden eagles on it and and six large horses. And um, Z President Zee, when he came to Hong Kong in 2017, he had thousands of police deployed across the route of his motorcade and many dozens of cars and motorcycles surrounding him. Now, is that the most efficient use of of, um, vehicles? Is that the most efficient way to get around? No, of course it's not. But it shows exactly how important his life was to the nation that he governed. But what did Jesus ride in as he entered Jerusalem? A borrowed donkey. It's an animal known for its clumsy walk, its silly ears, its distinctive braying sound. Hardly transport fit for a king. Why did Jesus choose to enter the the city of um, the the capital of Israel in that way? Well, hundreds of years earlier, beforehand, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied that he would do just that, and he explained why he would do that. That. Hear these words from Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations, he will rule. Uh, His rule will extend from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So the long-promised king uh, of the people of God, he would come lowly and riding on a donkey. Why? Because he would come proclaiming peace. There's no need for the protection of armored vehicles. There's no need for the rumblings of war horses, Um, He was neither afraid nor was he wanting to cause fear as he entered Jerusalem. It's amazing how little pomp and circumstance you need when God is on your side and what a contrast to the the great nations of the earth in our day. His victory was assured by God and so he came with humility and gentleness. And at first, the people recognized that divine authority. They shouted out, "'Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord,' verse 38. "'Peace in heaven and glory in the highest.'" Yet, they had no idea how he was going to accomplish this peace. They were celebrating because they thought he was going to do exactly what they wanted him to do. They thought their king had arrived, And they imagined he was going to overthrow the oppressive Roman presence, the occupiers of that region. They believed that he would establish the kingdom of Israel again, that their great nation would be great again. That uh, was what they thought they needed most. These were the things they were most concerned with, and, and it's what they certainly wanted the most. But King Jesus came to do something Other than that, something far better than that, rather than the temporary uh, annoyances like the Roman Empire, Jesus came to destroy the great enemies of sin and death. Rather than establishing a, a tiny kingdom in the Middle East somewhere, Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God across the whole earth. The crowds, they could never have imagined it. Their ambitions were far too small. The focus that they had was far too narrow. And Jesus, he didn't do it by force. He didn't do it by political maneuvering. He didn't do it by convincing arguments. He did it by humble obedience, by loving self-sacrifice. Over the course of Easter week, Jesus secured eternal peace and eternal security for his people. And so this Palm Sunday it's worth asking, what kind of leader are you following? There is no shortage of people who are posturing like Emperor Bokasa was and and, uh, trying to convince you that they deserve to be your leader, that you should be following them. You will find no shortage of politicians, of corporations, of self-help gurus, and many others, and they're all loudly proclaiming that if they have what you're looking for, and if you'll just follow them, they can give you everything you hope for. They say, we can give you the policies, we can sell you the products, we can teach you the practices, but in the end, it always is disappointing, isn't it? It's always disappointing. They never deliver, do they? We're always left utterly disappointed in the end by our earthly leaders, but what if the one you need, what if the one you need most didn't come with a sales pitch, he he didn't come with a cleverly orchestrated campaign, what if he doesn't promise to save you from your most obvious problems like your finances or your family, but instead comes to sort out what you really need, what you most deeply need in your life? Even if you don't recognize it, what if your Savior comes humbly and riding on a donkey to destroy the powers of sin and death in your life? Would you recognize him? Would you praise him? If we are too distracted or too embarrassed or too blind, Jesus says even the stones will cry out in praise of him the bling of influencers and the power of military parades. It doesn't fool the rest of God's creation. It only fools humans. Only humans are foolish enough to overlook the king of the universe and to go for some uh, middling, pitiful uh, ruler and authority instead. Only humans become impatient and irritated with God on high when He won't do what they say. The rest of creation gets it. The birds sing for Him, the flowers bloom for His glory. But will we praise Him? King Jesus, He won't do what we demand. He won't even do what we expect, but he will do far better. By his death, he destroys the power of sin. By his resurrection, he destroys the power of death. He deserves our praise. Will you praise him? He calls us to follow him. Will you follow him? Will you receive him? What kind of leader are you following? Can it compare with this one? Secondly, we see Jesus came weeping with compassion. Christ came to bring peace to his people, to all who would recognize him and follow him. But as he came to Jerusalem on his mission, As the crowds around him celebrated and cheered, Jesus wept. Why? Allow me to read verses 41 to 44 again. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus wept over the people of Jerusalem because he knew that they would not receive his offer of peace when they figured out that he wasn't going to lead an army to drive out the Romans, they weren't interested any longer. Even though his plan for peace would be successful, they wanted to do things their own way. Despite their praises at his arrival, they rejected Jesus after only a week, and they looked for other leaders to deliver them from Rome. They wanted to win peace their own way, and with rebel armies and with shouts of victory, that's what they wanted most desperately, and Jesus wept over them, seeing that because of their stubbornness and their pride, they were bound to fail. It was only a few decades later when the people of Jerusalem were utterly crushed by the Roman Empire, because Rome grew tired of their petty rebellions. God had offered them peace, he chose destruction. And what kind of leader are you following? Bokassa, he killed schoolchildren because they protested against him. He quiets and silences political opposition. And threatens those who would challenge them. Our city is full of leaders who will bully and demean those that they manage. Even when they're trying to do uh, good. Even when they're trying to do the right thing. The boss uh, puts his foot on their neck. But Jesus... He sees our flagrant rebellion against him. He sees the pain and the torment that we earn for ourselves by that rebellion and and by that sin. And how does he respond? He doesn't say, it serves you right. He weeps with compassion. He urges us to turn from the the torturous path that we're following and, and to receive his peace the only lasting peace. And on this Palm Sunday, as we see the character of God's King, He calls us too. Humbly, He comes to us offering peace with God and with one another. Are you tired of conflict with uh, other people? Are you weary of feeling a, a, a separation from the God of the universe. Well, Jesus brings peace to those relationships. He restores them. He reconciles. And with compassion, he calls us off of the destructive paths that we uh, most naturally go down. And when we are surrounded by the the enemies of our soul, sin and death and hell. He comes to our defense and he, he urges us to trust him for our salvation. What kind of king is he? He's a king unlike any other leader you will find. And we can keep seeking peace elsewhere. We can seek it in our politicians. We can seek it in our, uh, our bank accounts. We, we can seek it in our relationships, but it will always disappoint in the end because only Jesus will give us what we most desperately need. There is no better leader to follow. There is no other leader who can give us lasting peace. There is no other leader who can give us eternal security in this life, in our death, and in the life to come. Only Jesus. And on this Palm Sunday, we remember that he came for his people. Will we receive him? Let's pray. Father, we laud and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise Him and shout uh, in celebration of Him. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray that those would not just be words that we read or words that we hear, but they would be words that spring forth from us naturally as we behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we recall the grace that He offers to us, his people. Please, as we approach Easter this year, would our hearts rejoice in songs of praise to him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.